Part twelve of Prose Romances from the Oxford and Cambridge Magazine by William Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Golden Wings, Oxford and Cambridge Magazine, December eighteen fifty six. Leaf Lethus to me, twa wordus or three, of one who was fair and free, and fell in his fight. Sir Percival. I suppose my birth was somewhat after the birth of Sir Percival of Gals, for I never saw my father, and my mother brought me up quaintly, not like a poor man's son though, indeed we had a little money, and lived in a lone place, it was on a bit of wasteland near a river, moist and without trees, on the drier parts of it folks had built cottages, see, I can count them on my fingers, six cottages, of which ours was one, likewise there was a little chapel with a yew-tree and graves in the churchyard graves yes a great many graves more than in the yards of many minsters i have seen because people fought a battle once near us and buried many bodies in deep pits to the east of the chapel but this was before i was born i have talked to old knights since who fought in that battle and who told me that it was all about an old lady that they fought indeed this lady who was a queen was afterwards by her own wish buried in the aforesaid chapel in a most fair tomb her image was of latin gilt and with a colour on it her hands and face were of silver and her hair gilded and most curiously wrought flowed down from her head over the marble it was a strange thing to see that gold and brass and marble inside that rough chapel which stood on the marshy common near the river now every St. Peter's Day, when the sun was at its hottest, in the midsummer noontide, my mother, though at other times she only wore such clothes as the folk about us, would dress herself most richly, and shut the shutters against all the windows, and light great candles, and sit as though she were a queen till the evening, sitting and working at a frame, and singing as she worked. And what she worked at was two wings, wrought in gold on a blue ground, and as for what she sung, I could never understand it, though I know now it was not in Latin, and she used to charge me straightly, never to let any man into the house on St. Peter's Day. Therefore I and our dog, which was a great old bloodhound, always kept the door together. But one St. Peter's Day, when I was nearly twenty, I sat in the house watching the door with the bloodhound, and I was sleepy, because of the shut-up heat and my mother's singing. So I began to nod, and at last, though the dog often shook me by the hair to keep me awake, went fast asleep, and began to dream a foolish dream without hearing, as men sometimes do. For I thought that my mother and I were walking to mass through the snow on a Christmas day, but my mother carried a live goose in her hand, holding it by the neck instead of her rosary, and that I went along by her side not walking, but turning somersaults like a mountebank, my head never touching the ground. When we got to the chapel door, the old priest met us, and said to my mother, Why, dame alive, your head is turned green. Ah, never mind, I will go and say mass, but don't let little Mary there go. And he pointed to the goose and went. Then mass begun, but in the middle of it the priest said out loud, Oh, I forgot! and turning round to us began to wag his grey head and white beard throwing his head right back 
and sinking his chin on his breast alternately and when we saw him do this we presently began also to knock our heads against the wall keeping time with him and with each other till the priest said peter it's dragon time now whereat the roof flew off and a great yellow dragon came down on the chapel floor with a flop and danced about clumsily wriggling his fat tail and saying to a sort of tune oh the devil the devil the devil oh the devil so i went up to him and put my hand on his breast meaning to slay him and so awoke and found myself standing up with my hand on the breast of an armed knight the door lay flat on the ground and under it lay hector our dog whining and dying for eight hours i had been asleep on awaking the blood rushed up into my face i heard my mother's low mysterious song behind me and knew not what harm might happen to her and me if that night's coming made her cease in it so i struck him with my left hand where his face was bare under his male coif and getting my sword in my right drove its point under his hauberk so that it came out behind and he fell turned over on his face and died then because my mother still went on working and singing i said no word but let him lie there and put the door up again and found hector dead i then sat down again and polished my sword with a piece of leather after i had wiped the blood from it and in an hour my mother arose from her work and raising me from where i was sitting kissed my brow saying well done lionel you have slain your greatest foe and now the people will know you for what you are before you die ah god though not before i die so i said who is he mother he seems to be some lord am i a lord then a king if the people will but know it she said then she knelt down again by the dead body turned it round again so that it lay face uppermost as before then said and so it has all come to this has it to think that you should run on my son's sword-point at last after all the wrong you have done me and mine now must i work carefully lest when you are dead you should still do me harm for that you are a king lionel yea mother come here and see this is what i have wrought these many peter's days by day and often other times by night it's a surcoat mother for me yea but take a spade and come into the wood so we went and my mother gazed about her for a while as if she were looking for something but then suddenly went forward with her eyes on the ground and she said to me it is not strange that i who know the very place i am going to take you to as well as our own garden should have a sudden fear come over me that i should not find it after all though for these nineteen years i have watched the trees change and change all about it ah here stop now we stopped before a great oak a beech tree was behind us she said dig lionel hereabouts so i dug and for an hour found nothing but beech roots while my mother seemed as if she were going mad sometimes running about muttering to herself sometimes stooping into the hole and howling sometimes throwing herself on the grass and twisting her hands together above her head she went once down the hill to a pool that had filled an old gravel pit and came back dripping with wild eyes i'm too hot she said far too hot this saint peter's day clink just then from my spade against iron my mother screamed and i dug with all my might for another hour 
and then beheld a chest of heavy wood bound with iron ready to be heaved out of the hole now lionel weigh it out hard for your life and with some trouble i got the chest out she gave me a key i unlocked the chest and took out another wrapped in lead which also i unlocked with the silver key that my mother gave me and behold therein lay armour mail for the whole body made of very small rings wrought most wonderfully for every ring was fashioned like a serpent and though they were so small yet could you see their scales and their eyes and of some even the forked tongue was on it and lay on the rivet and the rings were gilded here and there into patterns and flowers so that the gleam of it was most glorious and the male coif was all gilded and had red and blue stones at the rivets and the tilting helm inside which the mail lay when i saw it first was gilded also and had flowers pricked out on it and the chain of it was silver and the crest was two gold wings and there was a shield of blue set with red stones which had two gold wings for a cognizance and the hilt of the sword was gold with angels wrought in green and blue all up it and the eyes of their wings were of pearls and red stones and the sheath was of silver with green flowers on it now when i saw this armour and understood that my mother would have me put it on and ride out without fear leaving her alone i cast myself down on the grass so that i might not see its beauty for it made me mad and strove to think but what thoughts soever came to me were only of the things that would be glory in the midst of ladies battle joy among knights honour from all kings and princes and people these things but my mother wept softly above me till i arose with a great shudder of delight and drew the edges of the hauberk over my cheek i liked so to feel the rings slipping slipping till they fell off altogether then i said o oh lord god that made the world if i might only die in this armour then my mother helped me to put it on and i felt strange and new in it and yet i had neither lance nor horse so when we reached the cottage again she said see now lionel you must take this knight's horse and his lance and ride away or else the people will come here to kill another king and when you are gone you will never see me any more in life i wept thereat but she said nay but see here and taking the dead knight's lance from among the garden lilies she rent from it the pennon which had a sword on a red ground for bearing and cast it carelessly on the ground then she bound about it a pennon with my bearing gold wings on a blue ground she bid me bear the knight's body all armed as he was to put on him his helm and lay him on the floor at her bed's foot also to break his sword and cast it on our hearthstone all which things i did afterwards she put the surcoat on me and then lying down in her gorgeous raiment on her bed she spread her arms out in the form of a cross shut her eyes and said kiss me lionel for i am tired and after i had kissed her she died and i mounted my dead foe's horse and rode away neither did i ever know what wrong that was which he had done me not while i was in the body at least and do not blame me for not burying my mother i left her there because though she did not say so to me yet i knew the thoughts of her heart 
and that the thing she had wished so earnestly for these years and years and years had been but to lie dead with him lying dead close to her so i rode all that night for i could not stop because of the thoughts that were in me and stopping at this place and that in three days came to the city and there the king held his court with great pomp and so i went to the palace and asked to see the king whereupon they brought me into the great hall where he was with all his knights and my heart swelled within me to think that i too was a king so i prayed to him to make me a knight and he spake graciously and asked me my name so when i had told it him and said that i was a king's son he pondered not knowing what to do for i could not tell him whose son i was whereupon one of the knights came near to me and shaded his eyes with his hand as one does in a bright sun meaning to mock at me for my shining armour and he drew nearer and nearer till his long stiff beard just touched me and then i smote him on the face and he fell on the floor so the king being in a rage roared out from the door slay him but i put my shield before me and drew my sword and the women drew together aside and whispered fearfully and while some of the knights took spears and stood about me others got their armour on and as we stood thus we heard a horn blow and then an armed knight came into the hall and drew near to the king and one of the maidens behind me came and laid her hand on my shoulder so i turned and saw that she was very fair and then i was glad but she whispered to me sir squire for a love i have for your face and gold armour i will give you good counsel go presently to the king and say to him in the name of alice de rose and sir guy le bonamont i pray you three boons do this and you will be alive and a knight by to-morrow otherwise i think hardly the one or the other the lord reward you damoiselle i said then i saw that the king had left talking with that knight and was just going to stand up and say something out loud so i went quickly and called out with a loud voice o king gilbert of the roseland i lionel of the golden wings pray of you three boons in the name of alice de rose and sir guy le bonamont then the king gnashed his teeth because he had promised if ever his daughter alice de rose came back safe again he would on that day grant any three boons to the first man who asked them even if he were his greatest foe he said well then take them what are they first my life then that you should make me a knight and thirdly that you should take me into your service he said i will do this and moreover i forgive you freely if you will be my true man then we heard shouting arise through all the city because they were bringing the lady alice from the ships up to the palace and the people came to the windows and the houses were hung with cloths and banners of silk and gold that swung down right from the eaves to the ground likewise the bells all rang and within a while they entered the palace and the trumpets rang and men shouted so that my head whirled and they entered the hall and the king went down from the dais to meet them now a band of knights and damoiselles went before and behind and in the midst sir guy led the lady alice by the hand and he was a most stately knight strong and fair and i indeed noted the first band of knights and damoiselles well 
and wondered at the noble presence of the knights and was filled with joy when i beheld the maids because of their great beauty the second band i did not see for when they passed i was leaning back against the wall wishing to die with my hands before my face but when i could see she was hanging about her father's neck weeping and she never left him all that night but held his hand in feast and dance and even when i was made knight while the king with his right hand laid his sword over my shoulder she held his left hand and was close to me and the next day they held a grand tourney that i might be proven and i had never fought with knights before yet i did not doubt and alice sat under a green canopy that she might give the degree to the best knight and by her sat the good knight sir guy in a long robe for he did not mean to joust that day and indeed at first none but young knights jousted for they thought that i should not do much but i looking up to the green canopy overthrew so many of them that the elder knights began to arm and i grew most joyful as i met them and no man unhorsed me and always i broke my spear fairly or else overthrew my adversary now that maiden who counselled me in the hall told me afterwards that as i fought the lady alice held fast to the rail before her and leaned forward and was most pale never answering any word that any one might say to her till the knight guy said to her in anger alice what ails you you would have been glad enough to speak to me when king wadrains carried you off shrieking or that other time when the chain went round about you and the faggots began to smoke in the brown city do you not love me any longer oh alice alice just think a little and do not break your faith with me god hates nothing so much as this sweet try to love me even for your own sake see am i not kind to you that maiden said that she turned round to him wonderingly as if she had not caught his meaning and that just for one second then stretched out over the lists again now till about this time i had made no cry as i jousted but there came against me a very tall knight on a great horse and when we met our spears both shivered and he howled with vexation for he wished to slay me being the brother of that knight i had struck down in the hall the day before and they say that when alice heard his howl sounding faintly through the bars of his great helm she trembled but i know not for i was stronger than that knight and when we fought with swords i struck him right out of his saddle and near slew him with that stroke whereupon i shouted alice out aloud and she blushed red for pleasure and sir guy took note of it and rose up in a rage and ran down and armed then presently i saw a great knight come riding in with three black chevrons on a gold shield and so he began to ride at me and at first we only broke both our spears but then he drew his sword and fought quite in another way to what the other knights had so that i saw at once that i had no chance against him nevertheless for a long time he availed nothing though he wounded me here and there but at last drove his sword right through mine through my shield and my helm and i fell and lay like one dead and thereat the king cried out to cease and the degree was given to sir guy because i had overthrown forty knights and he had overthrown me then they told me 
I was carried out of the lists, and laid in a hostelry near the palace, and Guy went up to the pavilion where Alice was, and she crowned him, both of them being very pale, for she doubted if I were slain, and he knew that she did not love him, thinking before that she did, for he was good and true, and had saved her life and honour, and she, poor maid, wished to please her father, and strove to think that all was right. But I was by no means slain, for the sword had only cleft my helm, and when I came to myself again, I felt despair of all things, because I knew not that she loved me, for how should she, knowing nothing of me? Likewise dust had been cast on my gold wings, and she saw it done. Then I heard a great crying in the street that sounded strangely in the quiet night, so I sent to ask what it might be, and there came presently into my chamber a man in gilded armour. He was an old man, and his hair and beard were grey, and behind him came six men armed, who carried a dead body of a young man between them. And I said, What is it? Who is he? Then the old man, whose head was heavy for grief, said, Oh, sir, this is my son, for as we went yesterday with our merchandise some twenty miles from this fair town, we passed by a certain hold, and therefrom came a knight and men-at-arms, who, when my son would have fought with them, overthrew him and bound him, and me and all our men, they said they would slay if we did aught. So then they cut out my son's eyes, and cut off his hands, and then said, the knight of high guard takes these for tribute. Therewithal they departed, taking with them my son's eyes and his hands on a platter, and when they were gone I would have followed them and slain some of them at least, but my own people would not suffer me, and for grief and pain my son's heart burst, and he died, and behold, I am here. Then I thought I could win glory, and I was much rejoiced thereat, and said to the old man, Would you love to be revenged? But he set his teeth and pulled at the skirt of his surcoat, as hardly for his passion. He said, Yes. Then, I said, I will go and try and slay this knight, if you will show me the way to La Utgard. And he, taking my hand, said, O glorious knight, let us go now. And he did not ask who I was, or whether I was a good knight, but began to go down the stairs at once so I put on my armour and followed him. As we two set forth alone to La Utgard, for no man else dared follow us, and I rejoiced in thinking that while Guy was sitting at the king's table feasting, I was riding out to slay the king's enemies, for it never once seemed possible to me that I should be worsted. It was getting light again by then we came in sight of High Guard. We wound up the hill on foot, for it was very steep. I blew at the gates a great blast which was even as though the stag should blow his own mort, or like the blast that Balan heard. For in a very short while the gates opened, and a great band of armed men, more than thirty, I think, and a knight on horseback among them, who was armed in red, stood before us, and on one side of him was a serving-man with a silver dish, on the other one with a butcher's cleaver, a knife and pincers. So, when the knight saw us, he said, What, are you come to pay tribute in person, old man? And is this another fair son? Good sir, how's your lady? So I said grimly, being in a rage, 
I have a will to slay you. But I could scarce say so, before the old merchant rushed at the red knight with a yell, who without moving slew his horse with an axe, and then the men-at-arms speared the old man, slaying him as one would an otter or a rat. Afterwards they were going to set on me, but the red knight held them back, saying, Nay, I am enough, and we spurred our horses. As we met, I felt, just as if someone had thrown a dull brown cloth over my eyes, and I felt the wretched spear-point slip off his helm. Then I felt a great pain somewhere, that did not seem to be in my body, but in the world, or the sky, or something of that sort. And I know not how long that pain seemed to last now, but I think years, though really I grew well and sane again in a few weeks. But when I woke, scarce knowing whether I was in the world, or heaven, or hell, I heard someone singing. I tried to listen, but could not, because I did not know where I was, and was thinking of that. I missed verse after verse of the song, this song, till at last I saw I must be in the king's palace. There was a window by my bed. I looked out at it, and saw that I was high up. Down in the streets the people were going to and fro, and there was a knot of folks gathered about a minstrel who sat on the edge of a fountain, with his head laid sideways on his shoulder, and nursing one leg on the other. He was singing only, having no instrument, and he sang the song I had tried to listen to. I heard some of it now. He was fair and free at every turny. He won the degree, Sir Guy the good knight. He won Alice the fair, the king's own daughter, with all her gold hair that shone well bright. He saved a good knight who also was white and had wings bright on a blue shield, and he slew the knight of the high guard in fight, in red wheat that was dight, in the open field. I fell back on my bed and wept, for I was weak with my illness, to think of this. Truly this man was a perfect knight, and deserved to win Alice. Ah, well, but was this the glory I was to have, and no one believed that I was a king's son? And so I passed days and nights, thinking of my dishonour and misery, and my utter loneliness. No one cared for me. Verily, I think, if any one had spoken to me lovingly, I should have fallen on his neck and died while I was so weak. But I grew strong at last, and began to walk about, and in the palace pleasance one day I met Sir Guy walking by himself. So I told him how that I thanked him with all my heart for my life, but he said, it was only what a good knight ought to do, for that hearing the mad enterprise I had ridden on, he had followed me swiftly with a few knights, and so saved me. He looked stately and grand as he spoke, yet I did not love him, nay, rather hated him, though I tried hard not to do so, for there was some air of pitiless triumph and coldness of heart in him that froze me. So scornfully, too, he said that about my mad enterprise, as though I must be wrong in everything I did. Yet afterwards, as I came to know more, I pitied him instead of hating. But at that time I thought his life was without a shadow, 
for I did not know that the Lady Alice loved him not. And now I turned from him and walked slowly up and down the garden paths, not exactly thinking, but with some ghosts of former thoughts passing through my mind. The day too was most lovely as it grew towards evening, and I had all the joy of a man lately sick in the flowers and all things. If any bells at that time had begun to chime, I think I should have laid down on the grass and wept, but now there was but the noise of the bees in the yellow musk, and that had not music enough to bring me sorrow. And as I walked I stooped and picked a great orange lily, and held it in my hand, and lo, down the garden walk, the same fair damoiselle that had before this given me good counsel in the hall. Thereat I was very glad, and walked to meet her, smiling. But she was very grave, and said, Fair sir, the Lady Alice de Rose wishes to see you in her chamber. I could not answer a word, but turned and went with her, while she walked slowly beside me, thinking deeply, and picking a rose to pieces as she went. And I, too, thought much. What could she want me for? Surely but for one thing, and yet— but when we came to the lady's chamber, behold, before the door stood a tall knight, fair and strong and in armour, save his head, who seemed to be guarding the door, though not so as to seem so to all men. He kissed the damoiselle eagerly, and then she said to me, This is Sir William de la Fosse, my true knight. And so the knight took my hand and seemed to have such joy of me that all the blood came up to my face for pure delight. But then the damoiselle Blanche opened the door, and bade me go in, while she abode still without. So I entered, when I had put aside the heavy silken hanging that filled the doorway. And there sat Alice. She arose when she saw me, and stood pale, and with her lips apart, and her hands hanging loose by her side. And then all doubt and sorrow went quite away from me. I did not even feel drunk with joy, but rather felt that I could take it all in, lose no least fragment of it. Then at once I felt that I was beautiful and brave and true. I had no doubt as to what I should do now. I went up to her, and first kissed her on the forehead, and then on the feet, and then drew her to me, and with my arms round about her, and her arms hanging loose, and her lips dropped, we held our lips together so long that my eyes failed me, and I could not see her till I looked at her green raiment. And she had never spoken to me yet. She seemed just then as if she were going to, for she lifted her eyes to mine and opened her mouth, but she only said, Dear Lionel, and fell forward as though she were faint. And again I held her and kissed her all over, and then she loosed her hair that it fell to her feet, and when I clipped her next, she threw it over me, that it fell all over my scarlet robes, like trickling of some golden well in paradise. Then, within a while, we called in the Lady Blanche and Sir William de la Fosse, and while they talked about what we should do, we sat together and kissed, and what they said I know not. But I remember that that night, quite late, Alice and I rode out side by side from the good city, in the midst of a great band of knights and men-at-arms, 
and other bands drew to us as we went and in three days we reached sir william's castle which was called la garde des chevaliers and straightway he caused toll the great bell and to hang out from the highest tower to a great banner of red and gold cut into so many points that it seemed as if it were tattered for this was the custom of his house when they wanted their vassals together and alice and i stood up in the tower by the great bell as they told it i remember now that i had passed my hand under her hair so that the fingers of it folded over and just lay on her cheek she gazed down on the bell and at every deafening stroke she drew in her breath and opened her eyes to a wide stare downwards but on the very day that we came they arrayed her in gold and flowers and there were angels and knights and ladies wrought on her gold raiment and i waited for an hour in the chapel till she came listening to the swallows outside and gazing with parted lips at the pictures on the golden walls but when she came i knelt down before the altar and she knelt down and kissed my lips and then the priest came in and the singers and the censor boys and that chapel was soon confusedly full of golden raiment and incense and ladies and singing in the midst of which i wedded alice and men came into night's guard till we had two thousand men in it and great store of munitions of war and provisions but alice and i lived happily together in the painted hall and in the fair water meadows and as yet no one came against us and still her talk was of deeds of arms and she was never tired of letting the serpent rings of my mail slip off her wrist and long hand and she would kiss my shield and helm and the gold wings on my surcoat my mother's work and would talk of the ineffable joy that would be when we had fought through all the evil that was coming on us also she would take my sword and lay it on her knees and talk to it telling it how much she loved me yea in all things o lord god thou knowest that my love was a very child like the angels o oh, my wise soft-handed love endless passion endless longing always satisfied think you that the shouting curses of the trumpets broke off our love or in any ways lessened it no most certainly but from the time the siege began her cheeks grew thinner and her passionate face seemed more and more a part of me now too whenever i happened to see her between the grim fighting she would do nothing but kiss me all the time or wring my hands or take my head on her breast being so eagerly passionate that sometimes a pang shot through me that she might die till one day they made a breach in the wall and when i heard of it for the first time i sickened and could not call on god but alice cut me a tress of her yellow hair and tied it to my helm and armed me and saying no word led me down to the breach by the hand and then went back most ghastly pale so there on one side of the breach were the spears of william de la fosse and lionel of the gold wings and on the other the spears of king gilbert and sir guy le bonamont but the king himself was not there sir guy was well what would you have in this world never yet could two thousand men stand against twenty thousand 
we were almost pushed back with their spear points they were so close together slay six of them and the spears were as thick as ever but if two of our men fell there was straightway a hole yet just at the end of this we drove them back in one charge two yards beyond the breach and behold in the front rank sir guy utterly fearless cool and collected nevertheless with one stroke i broke his helm and he fell to the ground before the two armies even as i fell that day in the lists and we drove them twenty feet farther yet they saved sir guy well again what would you have they drove us back again and they drove us into our inner castle walls and i was the last to go in and just as i was entering the boldest and nearest of the enemy clutched at my love's hair in my helm shouting out quite loud whore's hair for john the goldsmith at the hearing of which blasphemy the lord gave me such strength that i turned and caught him by the ribs with my left hand and with my right by sheer strength i tore off his helm and part of his nose with it and then swinging him round about dashed his brains out against the castle walls yet thereby was i nearly slain for they surrounded me only sir william and the others charged out and rescued me but hardly may the lord help all true men in an hour we were all fighting pell-mell on the walls of the castle itself and some were slain outright and some were wounded and some yielded themselves and received mercy but i had scarce the heart to fight any more because i thought of alice lying with her face upon the floor and her agonised hands outspread trying to clutch something trying to hold to the cracks of the boarding so when i had seen william de la fosse slain by many men i cast my shield and helm over the battlements and gazed about for a second and lo on one of the flanking towers my gold wings still floated by the side of william's white lion and in the other one i knew my poor love whom they had left quite alone was lying so then i turned into a dark passage and ran till i reached the tower stairs up that too i sprang as though a ghost were after me i did so long to kiss her again before i died to soothe her too so that she should not feel this day when in the after-time she thought of it as wholly miserable to her for i knew they would neither slay her nor treat her cruelly for in sooth all loved her only they would make her marry sir guy le bonamont in the topmost room i found her alas alas lying on the floor as i said i came to her and kissed her head as she lay then raised her up and i took all my armour off and broke my sword over my knee and then i led her to the window away from the fighting from whence we only saw the quiet country and kissed her lips till she wept and looked no longer sad and wretched then i said to her now o love we must part for a little it is time for me to go and die why should you go away she said they will come here quick enough no doubt and i shall have you longer with me if you stay i do not turn sick at the sight of blood oh my poor love and i could not go because of the praying face surely god would grant anything to such a face as that oh she said 
you will let me have you yet a little longer i see also let me kiss your feet she threw herself down and kissed them and then did not get up again at once but lay there holding my feet and while she lay there behold a sudden tramping that she did not hear and over the green hangings the gleam of helmets that she did not see and then one pushed aside the hangings with his spear and there stood the armed men will not somebody weep for my darling she sprung up from my feet with a low bitter moan most terrible to hear she kissed me once on the lips then stood aside with her dear head thrown back and holding her lovely loose hair strained over her outspread arms as though she were wearied of all things that had been or that might be then one thrust me through the breast with a spear and another with his sword which was three inches broad gave me a stroke across the thighs that hit to the bone and as i fell forward one cleft me to the teeth with his axe and then i heard my darling shriek end of golden wings end of part twelve end of prose romances from the oxford and cambridge magazine by william morris read by phil benson